We'll continue our study, um, overview of the Bible this morning, as we will look together at Acts 2, and uh, this great work in redemptive history referred to as Pentecost. So let's pray, and then I'll read from uh, Acts 2. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning, um, uh, the wondrous day that is before us, um, filled hopefully with anticipation of joining together with the saints um, to worship your glorious name and that which has been accomplished on our behalf through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, our King, our Master and Lord. Uh, May this be a blessed time for all that are here. Um, throughout every classroom, every age. May you bless all the teachers as they um, teach uh, the glorious truth um, of the Pentecost. And uh, may I as well be able to communicate this with clarity for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together. And they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, in the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They're filled with new wine. In other words, they're drunk. So here then, as we continue, we see a direct connection here to the ascension of our Lord, which we looked at last time. Um, And this now is the great um, event, the next great event in redemptive history. Um, Jesus promised not to leave his disciples alone, as you recall, but that he would send a comforter, that he would send a helper, the paracletus, um, even to the end of the age. He would not leave them alone. Now, the disciples had been instructed to remain in Jerusalem, and here they are, remaining as instructed to wait the promise of the Father, to wait on the promise of the Holy Spirit. And since his ascension, here they sit. In a few days' days time, the promise given um, on that day uh, would come at Pentecost. Pentecost... um, is uh, 50 days after Passover. So Jesus, the Paschal Lamb, crucified during the Passover, um, 50 days later, is Pentecost. And here we are. 
He says, I will go away, but I will come to you again. So they're all together in one place, and all of a sudden these crowds appear. Pentecost has arrived. And this now is one of those epic moments in uh, redemptive history. It's up there with creation. It's up there with the incarnation. It's up there with the resurrection. And it is up there with the ascension. Now, in the Old Testament, Pentecost is known as the, the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Wheat. Um, it's the first fruits of the harvest, um, depicting that which was yet to come. Something greater is to come. It's like a down payment or a foretaste of greater things to come. So Pentecost here is obviously the beginning of much more to come, spiritually speaking. Now, they saw many things, they heard many things, and we want to look and investigate those things and and see just how relevant they are to us, to his church, this very day, 2,000 years later. Amen? So they they first noticed something. Um, It's a noise. If you notice, it was like a rushing mighty wind. Uh, We get the impression just like John in the book of Revelation was having a, a somewhat challenging time depicting exactly what did take place. So he says it was like this. You know, it was like a mighty rushing wind. It was like divided tongues of, of, of fire that appeared and rested on them. In other words, there's something extraordinary going on here that is uh, beyond description. And it wasn't exactly a rushing mighty wind. <clears throat> But it was certainly like that. And Luke, uh, the author of um, the Acts of the Apostles, um, defines it for us um, in these terms, that it resembles something. Now, it was like a mighty wind. It's, as you know, both in, in Greek and Hebrew, the, the, the word for spirit or wind or breath um, are the same word. And Luke seems to be reminding us of the way the Bible opens. In Genesis chapter 1, for instance, um, in those first few verses, it says the spirit or the breath of God hovered upon the face of the waters, suggesting perhaps that, you know, uh, Pentecost is, is something of a creative order or a recreation, I suppose, has something of a creation aspect attached to it. Um, this is the beginning of the work, after all, that would, that would culminate the new heavens and the new earth, that would establish the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it arrives as a mighty wind, as he promised. So it's Pentecost is the dawning of the new day. The old is giving way to the new, as the scriptures tell us. I mean, that's how Paul interprets it, does he not? He says, if any man is in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creature. He's a new creation in Christ. So here then is is something of of the breath or the spirit of God that begins the process um, in forming this new creation, in forming this this people of God, establishing them um, according to the promises of God through Jesus Christ. So the end of the age is dawned here. That's the first thing that they experience, is this, this, this sound of a mighty rushing wind, something that was like a mighty rushing wind. And the second thing that they experienced 
is uh, strange tongues like, like fiery objects that settled upon the people. It rested on each one of them, it says. Now, fire, of course, is an off, uh, often a, a picture of what? Throughout the scriptures? Presence of God, yeah? And God led the, the people of Israel uh, by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. Led them through the wilderness, uh, representing the very presence um, of God. So perhaps the symbolism here of God's presence under the Old Covenant, as you know, it was always pictured as God being in one place at one time. Okay, we know he's omnipresent, but in the Old Testament, here's this pillar of fire, it's like God is here. In Jerusalem, when they build the temple, the presence of God was typically um, symbolized by the temple itself. This is God's dwelling place. But now, under the New Covenant... Who's the temple of God? Anybody and everybody who's in Christ. So here there's something like a mighty rushing wind and something as of um, fiery tongues settle upon everybody who's there who is of the way, who is a believer in Jesus Christ. So they appear as tongues. And it's uh, interesting that the, the most significant thing about the book of Acts is how the gospel spreads. It's by what? Proclamation of the tongue. Right? So something like divided tongues, divided tongues of fire, is resting on each one of these believers. That's the think, second thing that they experienced. And then the third thing they, they experienced is that they heard, um, it was heard rather, through the men and women in which, in, in which these fiery, these tongues of, divided tongues of fire settled upon these people, is that they heard foreign language being spoken, languages for which these people did not speak. Okay, which, by the way, is what biblical tongues is. Okay, biblical tongues is speaking a foreign language that you don't know. It's not babbling. And Luke gives the interpretation right here in verse 6. Hearing these disciples speak in his own language. I mean, it was like as though all of a sudden you're able to speak fluent, you know, uh, German or, or Chinese, having never taken even an introductory lesson. And you're speaking fluently here. So Pentecost is, is during Passover season. And that is when the population, according to some, um, quadrupled. And according to others, it depends on which historian you read, um, that it increased tenfold. In other words, there is a mass number of people in Jerusalem, in this area, when the Spirit of God descends upon the people of God. All to witness firsthand that which was like a mighty rushing wind, that which was like divided fiery tongues. So it's almost as though there's a reversal of uh, Babel taking place. Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. A moment in history, in uh, redemptive history, that uh, people actually thought that they could build a tower and ascend, um, making a name for themselves, up into the heavens, 
So God comes and he judges them and he divides their tongues so that they can't communicate with one another. And, uh, you know, God's will will be done. They were supposed to multiply themselves and spread out throughout the entire world. Um, they refused to do that, so they gather together and attempt to do something that will rob God of his glory. And God judges them. He says, you will be spread out among the world. Um, you'll be forced to do so because you won't be able to communicate any longer. So, um, here at Pentecost, um, he seems, at least momentarily, to undo um, the curse, so to speak, of divided tongues. For those at least gathered in Jerusalem and in hearing the gospel in their own native language, hearing the good news of Almighty God in their own um, language through these Galileans of all people. So for a moment, um, we get a glimpse at least uh, of God providing his great purpose in forming um, a, a people, a new covenant people that will eventually um, consummate a, a new heaven and a new earth in time. And everyone will communicate in a way that is understood. And for now, though, here the gospel um, shall spread to the ends of the earth. That's another thing being depicted here, that the gospel goes out to all nations. Amen? Every tribe, every tongue, every nation that will come and bow down and acknowledge Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So here then is a taste of what the new covenant age really um, is all about. It's gospel-centered, and it is to be spread north, south, east, and west. So this is the inception of that great reality for which we experience 2,000 years later. And if you travel, if you've ever traveled um, globally, it's always interesting, it doesn't matter where you go, even when there's a breakdown in language, when you share Christ, man, there's something unique, amen? There's something very unique that, 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 that is shared, and we share in the finished work of our Savior. Now, this is a double-edged sword, of course. Um, the gift that was granted the people of God on this day um, that would spread to Gentile lands, um, the other edge of the sword is, is one of judgment. Okay? Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in verse 21, it says, In the law it is written, this is having to do with tongues, In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues, and by the lips of foreigners, will I speak to this people. And even they will not listen to me, says the Lord. 1 Corinthians 14, 21. Now, there, Paul is citing the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 28 and verse 11. And it says this. For my people, here's God speaking through Isaiah, so who is my people at this point in time? Okay, ethnic Israel. For my people of strange lips, by my people of strange lips, and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to, to this people. So God's, here's a prophecy that God's people of other nations will be speaking in languages 
that will be assigned to this people, ethnic Israel, to whom he has said, verse 12, this is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose, meaning to lay at rest. Yet they would not hear. In other words, the prophecy is that there's going to come a time that I will speak through my people that are not of this nation through their tongue as a sign to this people, ethnic Israel, as a sign of judgment, and they will not believe. And that's what we see taking place in the New Testament. So, in one sense, the Spirit of God is moving, declaring through people of other languages and of other nations being declared to them the gospel truth at Pentecost through these Galileans, through these Jews. They're hearing it, and over time, the other edge of the sword is that Israel will be hardened in their unbelief, and one of the signs of God's judgment is tongues. Have you ever seen tongues in that way before? It's a sign of judgment to Israel. That's exactly what Isaiah prophesied And um, Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 14. So again, that's a double-edged sword of tongues. The gospel would go out to all nations, and it would be a sign of judgment to Israel at the same time. So there's a third thing that takes place that they experience on this great day. And then the fourth thing he tells us in verse 4 is they were all, notice, filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 5, he talks about being baptized with the Spirit. In Acts 1, verse 8, he talks about the Holy Spirit coming upon them. In chapter 2, verse 4, he talks about being filled with the Spirit. Chapter 2, and verse 38, he talks about receiving the Holy Spirit. It's very important. Being filled with the Spirit, being baptized with the Spirit... <laughs> is not an extraordinary work in in addition to regeneration, beloved. But these are all synonymous terms. Today you'll hear about the second blessing. You heard that? Have you received the second blessing, brother? (laughs) Meaning, have you spoken in tongues? Is a sign that you're saved? Well, when we read Scripture, being filled with the Spirit... Being baptized with the Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit, are all synonymous terms. It's not a a secondary thing that comes after the Spirit regenerating a sinner, giving him spiritual life. So Luke wants us to see that the use of these various terms um, are all the same thing. So your friends, when they ask you, that come from charismatic movements, have you received the second blessing? Say, so I've received all blessings in Christ Jesus, Ephesians chapter 1. I've received every, every spiritual blessing that there is in Christ because of the Holy Spirit who has regenerated me. Amen? Very important that we understand this. So Luke says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, not just some. Every believer was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not some elite group of Christians. This is not some elite sign or some second blessing to those who are special or to those who, you know, consecrated themselves here or were praying more earnestly than others. It says they all received the Holy Spirit. Anyone who was there, it says, 
He merely tells us that that's what they did. They, they were there. And those who believe received the Holy Spirit. Suddenly, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Suddenly. And that's how the Spirit of God works, amen? When he wants, how he wants, and in whom he wants. Um, I was telling the guys on Thursday night, my uh, nephew called me last Sunday. Or no, he texted me last Saturday and wanted to speak to me on the following day, Sunday. And I said, I won't even get home until probably you know 2.30 or 3, so you can call me then. And he's now saved. Here's a guy who, for 10 years, adamantly opposed to God, said, I do not believe. And this is a kid I used to witness to, you know, my nephew when he was four, five, six, seven, eight. Talk about sudden. He laid down to take a nap, dozed off, unsaved. Literally, within five minutes, was regenerated on his face, repenting before God of his sin because he had a a viciously uh, evil dream. Um, in, in, in two minutes, as he was laying on his bed next to his girlfriend, he says, how long have I been asleep? She goes, two minutes, and you've been hyperventilating the whole time. I won't go into the, the dream he had, but, you know, I've heard people having dreams and visions and all this type of thing, and, you, you know, you're leery, um, but when he fell back asleep, he had another dream about just the opposite, tranquility, peacefulness, um, um, uh, serenity, and then he heard what he said was the voice of God. Well, you can hear about experiences like that and go, "Eh, I don't know. But the way he responded was realizing that he'd sinned against God, that he was a wicked sinner, and fell on his knees weeping, begging God for forgiveness, and asking God in his grace to accept him. Amen? Who am I to say? Now, if that's the response, who else is that other than the Spirit of God? If, the, if you're led to Christ that way, who are you to say? Right? So I played the role of Apollos on the phone and gave him more clarity, clarity with regard to this God that he now professes. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified, right? He goes, I believe. I believe that. I believe. So in a moment of time, the Spirit descends... And enables people to believe, let alone speak this, speak in other tongues at this point. It's a supernatural work of God. So what's going on here, beloved, is the fulfillment of what had long been prophesied. And what had not only been prophesied, but hoped um, in the heart of going all the way back to Moses. If you look at, if you turn to Numbers 11... Just quick, we don't have a lot of time to look at this, but here the Lord leads uh, his people um, out of Egypt. And they begin to complain. They're in the wilderness and they begin to complain in chapter 11. The people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. 
So verse 4, if you jump down there, it says, The rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. And then they're remembering Egypt. They're remembering their old days before they were delivered. Remember how it was? We had fish to eat. It cost nothing. Cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. Because at this point they were eating manna. And the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of bdellium. So they went about and gathered it. They ground it in hand mills. They beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. Then Moses heard the people, verse 10, weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. The anger of the Lord blazed hotly and Moses was displeased. And then they wanted meat to eat, verse 13. Moses said, where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep before me and they say, give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to carry all this people alone. The burden's too heavy for me, verse 14. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once, says Moses, if I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. The Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting. Let them take their stand with you. I will come down and talk with you there. I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. They shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. So, so you get the picture here. You know, Moses is saying he, he's the charismatic leader of Israel. He has this, the charisma, which is the rubbing or the anointing of the Spirit upon him for the purpose in which he's been called, and that is to lead God's people. Okay? It's a special anointing, special endowment of the Spirit. We say, well, the Old Testament spirit, people didn't have the Spirit of God. Yes, they did. How were people saved in the Old Testament? The Holy Spirit. People in the Old Testament must, they had to be regenerated by the Spirit in order to be saved. So the work of God in salvation has always been the same. It's always been by grace alone through faith alone. By the Spirit of God that indwells, that regenerates the sinner. What's going on here is a special endowment of the Spirit, a power of the Spirit to do the ministerial work of God. So Moses is saying, I'm all alone, I I can't do this. So he says, here, I'm going to take 70 others and take part of what's on you and put it on them for them to assist you with power. So now there's 71 elders enabled by God, by his spirit to do this thing. So verse 25, the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to him, took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they did not continue doing it. It was like a one-time deal. And then, if you notice, uh, two men remained in the camp, Eldad, Medad, the spirit rested on them. And they were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, verse 27, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. Okay, notice the response. But Moses said, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, 
that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Now, here's a group that prophesied, but they never did again. Here's a complaint. Stop these people from doing this. Moses said, would that all the Lord's people were prophets. And that prophetic word right there, would that all God's people would have his spirit like this. Joel will prophesy much later that there's coming a day when the sons and daughters of God will what? Prophesy. Proclaim. And this is the very thing that Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2 and verse 16. Peter gets up and he says, look, you think these people are drunk? They're not drunk. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. So here now, all the people of God are endowed with the Holy Spirit. Not only regenerated, but endowed with the power of the Spirit. So, even though the Old Covenant people were regenerated by the Spirit of God, I mean, after all, when David prayed in his sin, he says, let not your what? Holy Spirit depart from me. There was a man of God, regenerated by God, who grieved over his sin and his sinfulness. So at Pentecost, we see a special endowment of the Spirit of God for the purpose of God, for the ministerial purposes of God. Amen? This is what's going on at Pentecost. They're enabled to perform. They're enabled to function in what God calls his people to do and what he's ordained them to do. which Paul will later interpret to the Corinthians when he'll say, we've all been baptized into one body and all will be made to drink of one spirit. You see what's going on here? You see how significant this is in redemptive history? We share in this today, beloved. We're endowed with the power of God. So they heard this rushing mighty wind. They saw divided tongues like fire resting on each one of them. So they're witnessing this extraordinary phenomenon, Christians speaking in languages that they did not speak. So the next question is, what does it mean? What does Pentecost mean? Well, number one, that the glory of God is passing. It's passing by the camp, so to speak. Wind, breath, fire, this is the presence of God. This is the drawing in of the, the new covenant age. It's inaugurated here. Jesus said before he ascended, he said, go into all the world and make what? Disciples. Imagine them at that time. What would you think? Okay, Jesus said, go into all the world. All power and authority has been given to me in heaven above and earth below. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lo, I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. What's the first response? Ay, ay, ay. How do we do this? 
How do we go to the ends of the earth and make disciples? Are you kidding me? Not just in our land, but to the ends of the earth? How would we do this? Well, here's the answer. It's Pentecost. The endowment of the Holy Spirit falling upon God's people, enabling them, empowering them, comforting them, giving them wisdom and discernment with the truth that they learn. You take the truth, the Spirit of God is already in them, they're indwelt by the Spirit, and then they're empowered according to giftedness. Amen? Everybody in this room is gifted by the Holy Spirit, endowed with the Spirit's power to carry out what he calls us to do. That's why Paul refers to to the church as a what? As a body. Hands, feet, eyes, ears. Don't be an ear and say you want to be an eye. Don't be a nose and say you want to be a tongue or a mouth. This is the body of Christ indwelt by and endowed with the power of God. That's why everyone needs to serve in some capacity somewhere, somehow. Everybody. Serving is raising your family in the the, the fear and admonition of the Lord. Training our children in truth. Serving one another. Ministering to one another. Encouraging one another. Showing up. Amen? You've got to show up first. So the answer to the Great Commission is it's not by might, it's not by power, but it is by my spirit, saith the Lord. And that's what's taking place here. The representative agent of Jesus Christ is the power of the Holy Spirit. It's going to take him to accomplish this through his people. It takes him and our yielding to him to have a healthy body, growing in grace and knowledge, ministering, Accordingly. So he's going to come, he's going to gift, he's going to enable, he's going to strengthen, he's going to motivate, and he's going to send and accomplish the very thing for which he calls his people to do. So, though it's not written in scripture that the, that the disciples said, wow, how are we going to do this, carry this out? They're only human. You can imagine they thought this thing and here the answers provided them on Pentecost. It's by the extraordinary sovereign power, the omnipotent power of God within them and upon them. Amen? That's why when any preacher preaches on any given Sunday, before he gets to the pulpit, he says, Father, please empower me for service unto you today. Amen? Mm -hmm. To do this in your own power, you are a fool. We are fools to do anything in our own strength. Especially when we, we serve according to our giftedness and we come de- dependent upon um, our gift and our ability to carry that gift out rather than the Holy Spirit who empowers us with the gift. Amen? It's a very dangerous thing. Especially when you're very gifted. Some people are more gifted than others. And, uh, when you depend upon the gift, the gift can actually become an idol versus our dependence upon the Spirit of God who has granted us the gift and empowers us with the gift. So, now let's look at the response. There's a twofold response. See it in verse 6 and verse 7 and verse 12. He uses four different words. Uh, bewildered, amazed, astonished, and perplexed. <laughs> They've never seen anything like this, no doubt. Of course you're going to be perplexed. 
You're going to be bewildered and amazed, astonished. Not a wonder. You know, sometimes when the Word of God penetrates, you know, there's those times where the Spirit, you know, moves among us. It could be uh, um, through a message. Primarily, it's typically through preaching. Um, and there's a sense of urgency, and there's a sense of um, sincerity, or there's a sense of stillness. You ever experience that? Something is proclaimed, and it's so quiet you could hear a pin drop. And it's as though you can feel the presence of God. Now, multiply that experience 10,000 times, and you have Pentecost. <laughs> Right? This is what's going down. This is the very presence of God was in their midst. And you know, some people say, man, if we could only have an experience like that today, people would believe. Answer? No, they wouldn't. Not just by the experience themselves from the outside. Looking in. They might think you're freaks. Look at them worshiping God. Are they crazy? You know, here the church experiences this, the move of the Spirit, and we're rejoicing and worshiping God because we understand what we've been delivered from. Right? We're, we're, we're not complacent. Some Christians are complacent, they really don't care. But sometimes they're awakened to the reality of their redemption, right? And they might be weeping, or they might be. Stunned by, by the presence and the power of God. Well, if you're looking from the outside in, the world might say they're a bunch of lunatics. Or here, they're what? They're drunk. They're filled with new wine. That's the response. These men and women at 9 o'clock in the morning are filled with sweet wine. So with hearts given to sin, they, they couldn't begin to perceive what it was that the Spirit of God was doing on this day. And such is the heart of the natural man, amen? Praise God, you're no longer natural men and women. So all that to say, we are powerless without the Spirit of God. We have nothing to boast about. Because the world doesn't understand. We can't stand up on our tiptoes and say, we understand. We only understand by the grace of God the unconditional love of God, and the penetrating power and person of God, the Holy Spirit. Amen? So they ask, what does this mean? That's the next, what does this mean? That's their question, verse 12. And then Peter stands up and he preaches. You love that guy. Verse 12, they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Others mocking said, ah, they're drunk. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, 9 a.m. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Then he goes on to preach. Preach and preach and preach. So at Pentecost, it's the entire community of faith that is endowed with spiritual power from on high. So God anointed here, not a mere 70 men, amen? But everyone. 
And then after the superior one, the mighty one, the anointed one, ascended to heaven, to the right hand of the Father, the Spirit descended, fulfilling what Jesus said, I will not leave you alone. If I leave you, I will come to you again. Now, he came to them again in resurrection form, proving that he was alive. But he came permanently, didn't he? Once he ascended, he came permanently. Therefore, we all experience Jesus personally. Not just corporately, amen? Some people believe you only experience Jesus when you're corporately gathered together. That is great, and there's a sense in which we truly do experience something unique within the gathered body of Christians. That's why it is unheard of for a Christian not to be in fellowship. But at the same time, we experience him personally because of the Spirit of God. So here he descended, and from that day forward, beloved, and forevermore, every believer under the new covenant is not only indwelt by, but empowered by God the Holy Spirit for the sake of ministry. Every believer, 1 Corinthians, is gifted. And we're not gifted in the same way, amen? We're not gifted in the same way. I I always think of my dad as like the ultimate deacon. I know I've said this before. My dad is the humble kind of guy. I wish he lived in this town because I know that the bathrooms would be cleaned every week. I know that this place would be spotless. He's the kind of guy who comes and serves. He doesn't care if anybody sees him. He could care less. But things get done. That's his gift, service. He's not a teacher. He's not a preacher. He doesn't have those gifts. Faithful with a gift of simple service to the body. So God's people are truly now charismatic people, amen? In the true biblical sense of the word. Charisma, a rubbing off, an anointing, a rubbing is the idea. Every single believer to serve for the purpose of glorifying God and to carry out the Great Commission. So may the Spirit of God empower our worship, amen? May he empower our evangelism, our witness, and our mission. And may he empower us always as believers, corporate body, to live totally sold out lives by his grace. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. So there's Pentecost. That, that's, that's a great day that we're, we're as thankful for Pentecost as we are creation. We ought to be. Amen. Or the resurrection. Father, we do thank you for Pentecost. We do thank you for this great redemptive work. We thank you that uh, you promised not to leave us and ever forsake us, but uh, we experience that daily. So help us, Lord, in our own fleshful weakness to entrust ourselves to the truth of Scripture, which never changes, Um, that you are always with us, you'll never leave us, never forsake us, we'll never be abandoned because Christ was abandoned in our place as he hung upon a cross, promising not only to save us, but not to leave us alone. So uh, may we understand something of the, the power and the presence of your spirit in our lives. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.